Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. We certainly are living in some tumultuous times. We're looking, we, we see terrorist attacks, the fires that have happened. There is yet, yesterday, yet another fire had happened. The realization that uh, of 34 places that have been tested for this cladding, all 34 have failed uh, their inspection. And there's about 300 of these around the UK. Uh, the government and the Brexit talks that are, have begun and the realization that I, I think the EU leaders smell blood in the water and uh, certainly will not give the UK an easy time with all of this. And we see all of these things happening around us and it's really tempting to get focused on all these crazy things going on. Or at the same time, we keep getting messages about how the spirit is stirring in Europe and particularly here in the UK uh, I get word almost every week about something that is going on, uh, people thinking that revival is coming, and a lot of people say, well, here it is, it's, it started there, and I'm thinking, well, no, that's not quite it, uh, and I'll hear someone else say, it's starting here, and I'm thinking, well, no, that's not quite it, uh, and then others, you know, they, they have conferences, and they'll call the conferences Revive UK or something like that, that uh, thinking that if we just have a conference or something, that then the revival will come, then the awakening will come. But there is a sense that something is going on in all of this. Something is happening in the spiritual realm over our nation. Something is certainly happening in the natural uh, over our nation. And we're wondering what it is, and we're wondering how to focus, and we're wondering how to orient ourselves. And the temptation is, and I've seen this time after time after time, the temptation is to become so focused on something that is happening, so focused on the injustice of what happened in the Grenfell Towers, so focused on housing injustice here in, the UK, in, in, the city, in London, and certainly there are serious justice issues here, are, are so focused on the government, are so focused on Brexit, are so focused on the economy, uh, or even so focused on what God might be doing and how, uh, how can we see it, how can we know it, that oftentimes we forget to keep living for Jesus. Oftentimes we forget to keep going. And I've seen Christian after Christian after Christian get caught up in the stuff that is happening, whether it's an, an awakening or a reviving kind of moment uh, in the life of the church, or whether it's a crisis that is happening from Donald Trump uh, to uh, anybody else you want to name, and we get caught up in this, and we get focused on this, and we get wrapped up in it, and we, we start to wonder what we're supposed to be doing, and actually we end up losing the focus that God calls us to have. And the danger is that we can start running to and fro. We can get so involved with this thing or that thing that we end up missing the destiny, the promise that God has for us. 
And so Paul in the passage today is reminding us of how to orient our lives, how to focus what to do in the midst of a crazy time. Now the first thing that Paul says effectively is that we need to understand our reality. We need to focus on our reality. We need to embrace what is really real. He starts out in this, in this passage here, and he says, so then, or therefore, therefore, my beloved, so then. Now, what is he talking about? He's referring back to the passage we looked at a couple of weeks ago where Paul declares after exalting Jesus Christ, after praising Jesus and all he's done, he says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess to the glory of the Father, Jesus Christ is Lord. The most important thing about our reality, the most important thing we must understand, we must focus on, we must embrace, is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is exalted. All of history points to Jesus. All of history will culminate in Jesus. Our reality is about Jesus lifted up. And our lives are lives that are lived to Jesus Christ. And if we forget the lordship of Jesus, we will always have a wrong perspective on our reality. If we start focusing in on the junk that's happening, we will have a wrong focus in our reality. Or if our focus is primarily about what God is going to do someday, an awakening that God is going to bring somewhere, that also will lead us to a wrongful focus on reality because Jesus is Lord no matter what is happening around us and Jesus is Lord today whether or not the church is in revival. And so Paul says we need to understand this reality. That's a lot there in just one word, therefore, but that's what it's there for, to point us to that. I couldn't resist. I should have. I should have. So therefore, he says, my beloved, the second thing we need to understand in our reality is that we are loved. Paul here was expressing his love to the people there in Philippi, but that same love is expressed through Paul by God, to those people and to us today. We must always remember, if we're going to understand our reality, if we're going to understand what's really happening around us, we must always understand that no matter what happens, we are God's beloved. We are loved by God with an unending, undying love. And, he goes on, he says, just as you always obeyed, just as you always obeyed, reminds us that if Jesus is Lord, and if we are God's loved people, then we have a responsibility to live for Jesus. We've done it in the past, we who are followers of Jesus. We've come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, believing He died on the cross and He rose from the dead for us. 
We have that salvation. We have that relationship. We have that knowledge. We have that faith. But that faith is always worked out in the context of obedience. And sometimes as Christians we get lazy. We start thinking, oh, well, okay, I can love Jesus and I have faith in Jesus, but I don't have to do much about it. But there's a responsibility There's a responsibility that we have to remember that our faith is expressed in obedience. And Paul says there, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also in my absence. That responsibility that we have to obey Jesus Christ is our responsibility. I can't make you obey. Talking to my friends there in Croatia, and one of the things that, one of the pressures that they had been under uh, as spiritual leaders was they were told repeatedly by somebody in authority in their, in their movement that they were responsible for the obedience of the people in their churches. Do you know that's wrong? I'm not responsible for your obedience. I will not stand before God one day and God say, Oh, Rod, you know, Olashina, he didn't do everything I wanted him to, and that's your fault. When I stand before God, I'll give an account for my obedience... And I will give an account for how I've proclaimed the truth of God to you, but you will give an account to the Lord for yourself and your own obedience. And it's not about people looking at you. The true test of your obedience is what you do when nobody's looking. The true test of your obedience is how you live when nobody sees. The true test of your obedience is how you are going to express your faith in Jesus on a day-by-day-by-day basis. And that is our reality. Jesus is Lord. We are loved and we are called to faith in Jesus Christ, which is lived out in the context of obedience. And so in light of that then, Paul Paul goes on and tells us how to obey. Paul tells us what our obedience is. He says this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, there's a danger here. And the danger is we can start thinking that Paul is starting to talk about works righteousness. That somehow if we do enough work, then if we we do enough work, then somehow we're going to be pleasing to God. That if we work hard enough, if we follow enough rules, that somehow God will love us more. And that is not what Paul is saying here. And actually, the word itself, works out, work out, uh, would really tell us that. Uh, but we don't have a, a perfect translation here from the Greek into the English. Uh, effectively, what it says, what work out means, is that you accomplish something. You carry out the implications of what you have. Uh, 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 one idea might be in terms of my citizenship. If I am a citizen of the United Kingdom, which I'm not yet, but if I'm a citizen of the United Kingdom, then I'm going to work out my citizenship by voting. I'm going to work out my citizenship by paying taxes. I'm going to work out my citizenship. I'm going to show that I am a citizen. I'm going to demonstrate my citizenship. I'm going to fulfill my citizenship by engaging in the activities that are related to my citizenship. It involves effort. It involves being both willing and then actually doing 
something. Willing to do and actually doing something. So we have a requirement to work out our own salvation. We are to work it out. We are to fulfill all the implications of it. We are to live our lives until we embody the fact that we are people who are saved. Now, the word here, when he says, work out your own salvation, this your own indicates that this salvation is something we already have. The force of the Greek means you're not working for it, but you're working because you have it. You're not working to get it, but you're working because you have already received it. And the importance here is to remember that we're working out our own salvation. You don't work out somebody else's salvation. Each one of us is on a different path, all leading to Jesus, if we're following Jesus, of course. I'm not saying that all roads go to Jesus, by the way. But each one of us have a calling. Each one of us has been gifted. Each one of us has skills. Each one of us has talents. Each one of us has abilities. Each one of us have things that God has redeemed in our lives. Each one of us have experiences. And all of these things work together in how we follow Jesus. And you are responsible to work out your own salvation. So often, we live our lives referring to other people. Well, I don't have to do this because so-and-so is not doing it. You know, I, I, I don't need to do dishes, you know, help, help out with dishes after uh, Sunday, uh, Sunday focus because, yeah, somebody else is going to do that, you know, and, and, and that's not my responsibility. Uh, it's the idea that you are responsible to live your life. You are responsible to serve Jesus. You cannot allow other people to do for you what you need to be doing yourself. But at the same time, when Paul says your own salvation, the word you here is in the plural. And this indicates that you cannot work out your own salvation by yourself. That's the other temptation that people have. They'll say, oh, okay, well, it's easier for me to follow Jesus when I can just turn on a TBN or another Christian TV station or Premier Radio and I can listen to the sermons there and I don't have to come to church and I certainly don't have to be around those people that really drive me crazy. And it's true. In some respects, it is easier to live for Jesus if you were just by yourself on a deserted island. But none of us are by ourselves on a deserted island and all of us called into relationship with Jesus are called into relationship with one another in the body of Christ. My heart cannot say, oh, well, you know, I, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't really want to be in Rod's body, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exist out here and let Rod's body exist on its own. It doesn't work like that. And we cannot exist on our own. We cannot work out our own salvation by ourselves. It always requires the corporate experience, the body of Christ. We are responsible to God for ourselves, but we must work out our salvation in the midst of God's people. We cannot do it by ourselves. And the salvation here 
It's the totality of the word. It's something that we receive from God, and it's something we have now, but something also that we will have in the future in its fullest. And by salvation, we're not just talking about uh, forgiveness of sins. The word salvation here is referring to wholeness of life. It's that experience of wholeness that we'll have when we are in perfect relationship with God the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit and in relationship with one another. That kind of wholeness. And that's the wholeness that we're working out. That's the salvation that we're working out together with other people. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now that doesn't, at first, sound like it works with the idea that we're beloved. But it's completely consistent. We need to work out our own salvation with the reality, the realization that we will give an account to God. There will be a day when each of us stand before God and give an account of how we live our lives. And we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, realizing that we serve a holy God. It's one of the reasons why here at City Temple we emphasize so much the need to repent and the need to forgive. Because if you refuse to repent or you refuse to give, that is an affront to the holiness of God who has forgiven you of your sins and washed you clean. And so we must repent, we must forgive, because if we don't, it puts us in a position of being at odds with God. It's another reason why pride, of all the sins, pride is the one that I fear the most. Because the scriptures clearly say that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so if you are walking in pride, refusing to repent, God is in opposition to you. God is opposing you. And the idea is that God is actively opposing you. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want God to be in opposition to me. And God, if he's opposing me, is doing that not because I'm his enemy, but because I am his son. Because God realizes that if he doesn't oppose me as his son, when I am doing something wrong, when I am not walking in repentance, or I'm not walking in forgiveness, if God doesn't deal with me in those moments, then God is not being true to himself, and God is allowing me to give a false picture of who he really is. Because I reflect God to the people around me. At least that's the design. That's the purpose. And so as I am working out my salvation, as I am walking it out, as I am putting in effort to obey the Lord on a day-by-day basis, to realize I've received this incredible gift of salvation in Jesus Christ that demands my obedience, that demands my focus, that demands that I orient my life toward Him, no matter where I'm at, whether it's in church on Sunday or work on Monday, that realization that I have to work it out, that I am responsible before God, but I cannot run away from God's people in that responsibility, 
and I will give an account before God of how I've lived my life, that fills me with a healthy sense of fear and trembling. And that's what Paul tells us. You have to do this. You cannot escape it. You must work out your salvation. You must work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That is the command. That is the essence of our obedience. And Paul doesn't give us ten rules to live by to do this because he doesn't want to push us into legalism. Now at that point, if we stop there, that can sound very bleak. And I've talked to many, many Christians who live to just stop at this point and they feel overwhelmed. They think, I can't do this. I mean, I can put on a good face, but I actually know myself. You don't know me, but I know myself. I know the struggles that I have when I'm by myself. I know the attitudes that I have, the weaknesses. I, I, I know that you don't know the, I know these things and I'm not sure I can do it. I'm, I'm not sure I can bear up in this. This is a lot of pressure. This is a lot of hassle. And so Paul doesn't leave us at that place. Because if Paul left us at that place, he would betray his own theology. He would betray everything that he's taught us, everything that he's shared with us in places such as Romans uh, and Galatians and on and on and on. And so Paul continues and, and continues with this great with this great phrase, for, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God, knowing us, knowing our weakness, because he loved us, because Jesus Christ is Lord, he's given us this command but he doesn't leave us to do it in our own strength, and our own power. We can work out our salvation, our own salvation with fear and trembling because God himself is engaged with us. And God is working in us. This means that he is empowering our obedience. He is giving us the energy that we need to obey. His presence is in us to enable us to live for Him, to enable us to obey Him, to enable us to follow Him. It's important to understand that this doesn't mean that we no longer have a responsibility. We do have a responsibility. God empowers us, God enables us, but we have to move in that empowerment. We have to move in that enablement. We have to step forward into that reality. We can't say, okay, well, God, thank you. You're doing it for me. Uh, send me to uh, a, a nice island somewhere where I can live on the beach and, and enjoy the fact that you're, you're doing all of this on my behalf. No, God is in us. He is empowering us, giving us the energy by the power of His Holy Spirit that we can live for Him, but we have to walk in it. God's empowering energy by the Spirit of God is inside of us. And He's inside of us, first of all, to will. To be able to make a choice. There are many, many times when I find it very, very difficult to choose to obey. 
when there are things that I know that I need to do, and, but I, I just I struggle sometimes to do them. And it's God who's working inside of me to enable me to make that choice. God is showing me the choices that I need to make. There are many times when I stand at a crossroad and I don't know exactly what to do. And all of a sudden I'm listening to God and He speaks in the power of His Holy Spirit and gives me a nudge in a certain direction and I know what to do. I expect God to give me the will to follow Him and the will to obey Him and the will to live for Him because I know that if left on my own, I wouldn't have any of that. And God's energy, His empowering presence is in me to will. And His empowering presence, His energy is in me also to work. Because the Spirit of God lives inside of me, the Spirit of God has given me spiritual gifts The Spirit of God has given me talents. The Spirit of God has given me creativity. The Spirit of God has given me energy and and power when I don't feel like I can go on, when I don't know that I could do what needs to happen. Suddenly, by the Spirit of God, I am able not only to choose what's right to do, but actually begin to do what's right to do. In myself, I have so many weaknesses. I've told you many times that by nature I'm an introvert. Uh, intermingling with people is not something that comes naturally to me. And having lots of conversations is not com- something that comes easy for me. And yet this last week we were in Croatia. And what was I doing from the time I got off the plane to the time well, almost till we got on the plane, or at least out at the airport, we're having spiritual conversations with people. And rather than being totally depleted, God is energizing me so that I can get off the plane last night and get up this morning and come here and begin to share the Word of God. That's not because I'm a skilled communicator. It's simply because God is in me to will and to work. And God is in me to will and to work according to His good pleasure. In other words, God will first of all cause me to obey Him in a way that's pleasing to Him. Many times we sweat. Is God happy with my life? Is God pleased with me? And Paul's saying, don't sweat this. Yes, you've got to put energy into working out your own salvation, but God's working in you, and He is going to help you to make a choice and help you to take an action that will be pleasing to him. God does that. God wants you to please him. And so if you cooperate with him, he will naturally begin to lead you in a way that's pleasing to him. But Paul here, I love Paul's ambiguity and the ambiguity of the language because it means not only is God working in us to to will and to work for his good pleasure, but... God is working in us to will and to work so that we walk into His good pleasure. So we walk into the good things that God has for us. So it's not just God saying, okay, I want you to do this to make me happy. God's saying, I want you to do this because it's going to make you happy. It's going to bring you satisfaction. It's going to bring you into your destiny. If you'll just work with me and walk with me, I will help you to walk into the destiny that I have for you. 
Don't run away. Don't resist it, but cooperate with me until you walk into the fullness of everything that I have for you because it will make me happy. It will give me pleasure. It will bring me satisfaction and it will also bring you pleasure and you satisfaction. And so we can have the confidence that no matter what is happening around us, as we live in the reality that Jesus is Lord, that we are loved, and that we can live out our faith in Jesus, as we live in that reality and as we choose to obey by working out our salvation in fear and trembling, that God will be working in us to empower us to do that in a way where we walk in a way that's pleasing to him and also walk in a way that ultimately will be pleasing to us. As long as we cooperate and as long as we don't run away or run to and fro, but we keep our focus in on Jesus. Reminded of a a great story. You probably heard it. It's an ancient tale from Mesopotamia. Uh, There was a a merchant in Baghdad that sent his servant out to the market to buy some things in the marketplace. And as the servant was out in the marketplace, uh, he, uh, he was brushed up against by a woman and he looked and looked at the woman and all of a sudden realized the woman was deaf. And, uh, and she made some kind of gesture toward him and, and he felt like it was really aggressive. And, and, and so he's like, death is after me. So he, f- he flees from the marketplace and he runs directly to his master. And he says, master, death is after me. It's after me. I, I, I need to flee. I need to go away. I need to run away. And the master's trying to calm him and say, no, no, just stay in my will. Keep following me. Uh, stay close to me and I think you'll be okay. You must be mistaken. I, I'm not sure that that's, that's what's going to happen to you. And he says, no, 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 I, I have to run away. I ha- if you really love me, you'll let me go away. You'll let me run away and you'll give me your horse so I can do it. I want to go out to Samara, which is not this Samara, but it's a city, uh, another city. I want to go out to Samara and it's about 75 miles away. I think I can get away. And so he gets on the horse and, and finally the master says, okay, if you really want to do that, puts him on the horse and the guy rides off. And the master, who's pretty upset because he loves this servant, he goes to the marketplace to find the woman. And finally going through the marketplace, he finally finds the woman. He realizes that she's deaf. And, uh, and so he confronts her and says, what do you mean attacking my servant like you did and, and giving him that, that aggressive gesture in the marketplace like you did? And she said, no, 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 you're mistaken. That wasn't a gesture of aggression. That was a gesture of surprise. Surprise. I have an appointment with him today in Samara. And many times we get so caught up in what's happening that we run away from the safety and the destiny that God has for us. There's a lot of things happening around us. We believe that revival is coming. We believe that God is going to do and is doing amazing things. And we know that we live in times of tremendous uncertainty. And you can be tempted. You'll hear a lot of people to tell you to do this or to do that, to position yourself to go to this conference or that conference, to do this protest or that protest. But at the end of the day, we must keep our focus in on Jesus. I know that our primary responsibility, no matter what's going on around us, is to work out our salvation because God is working in us to will and to work so that we walk into his good pleasure. Let's pray. 
Gracious God, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for the truth, and I thank you for the incredible times that we're living in. And I pray, Lord God, that you would use our obedience to position us so that we experience the fullness of what you have for us, not only individually, but also corporately. And I pray, Father God, that for those who think that they may have missed your destiny in their lives, I pray that you would help them to walk out their obedience to you, to work out their salvation, so that you position them for receiving the fullness of your good pleasure in our lives individually and corporately. May it all be done to your praise and glory. Lord, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.